We're glad to have you here. We're talking uh, for the next couple months about trust issues. So if you weren't with us last week, uh, we're having a conversation about different things that we know we struggle with in terms of trusting. And um, after we had the initial conversation last Sunday, I heard from a lot of you just saying, hey, this really hits at the core of some of my questions about my faith and about church and about other things in my life, about God. Um, and yet, at the same time, it can be really hard. It feels sort of vulnerable to say, I have trust issues with God, with church, with friends, with family, neighbors, coworkers, leaders in general, institutions, whatever they might be. So what we're trying to do is have an open conversation to sort of name some of our trust issues. And instead of just saying, hey, I have trust issues, that's the way it is, uh, to ask some questions about how can we build up some trust in these areas? How can we do some healing uh, and admit where maybe we need to ask for forgiveness or have other people uh, apologize to us where trust has broken down. Uh, how can we start to trust in ways that we know we want to but are having a hard time? That's kind of the heartbeat of the conversation over the next couple months. And um, I think that some of this healing can happen when we start to gain some new perspective on some of these issues that we're talking about. So today we're talking about the simple question, can you trust the Bible? Last week we talked about the question, can you trust God? And if you missed that, I encourage you to go on the website and, and listen to it. Uh, I'm going to focus today on the, on the why part of this question. Why can we trust the Bible? I'm going to argue that we can trust the Bible for a couple reasons. And then next week, J.D.'s going to be preaching, and he's going to say, here's how you trust the Bible. Here's how you actually go about trusting it on a day-to-day -day basis, on a week-to-week -week basis. Uh, for some of you, as you sit here and you even hear me say that, maybe your anxiety level has now gone up. Um, but for others of you, you, you hear the question, can I trust the Bible? And you sort of go, well, yes, of course. I've always trusted the Bible. I don't, even, I don't really maybe understand why anybody wouldn't trust the Bible. So I want to start by saying that hey, we affirm the trust that you have, and my hope for you today as you listen is to understand maybe why other people don't trust the Bible and how you might be able to enter into conversation with them. Now, for some of you, the answer to the question, can I trust the Bible, might be, I'm not sure. Sometimes it seems like I can, and sometimes it feels like I can't. Now, maybe... Maybe some of the questions that have come up in our contemporary culture have caused you to wonder, does the Bible really speak to the issues that we're talking about and we are facing today or not? Maybe you have some questions about how a book that was written a really, really long time ago can still have relevance for us today. Or maybe you feel unsure about trusting the Bible and you know that there's a lot of other people who feel similarly to you. So... While I know we can't answer all your questions today, my hope for those of you who are in this camp is to find a way to move forward to seeing how you could come to trust the Bible more than you do as you're sitting there right now. And finally, there's this camp of, of, of you who say, there's just no reason to trust the Bible. I don't trust the Bible at all. Or I have really close relationships with people, friends and family and coworkers, who think it's ridiculous to look to the Bible for any sort of influence in how we're living our life Today. And that might be the result of some people using the Bible in some really harmful ways, almost like a weapon that you've experienced and, and therefore you've rejected it. Uh, maybe you've seen the Bible 
used in ways that cause you to lose trust in leaders who were trying to teach the Bible in some ways that, that weren't helpful. Maybe you just think the Bible's a myth. And it's an interesting story for some people who feel like they need that, but, but that's not you and you're not in that camp. And what I'm hoping for you today is that you might see a different way or come to understand, even if you don't trust the Bible, why other people do and see that that is a legitimate perspective that they have. So I'm sure we have people today who are listening who are all over the spectrum, right? Let's assume we do. My hope is that we can open up some space just to think about why we do or don't trust the Bible and maybe provide some new perspective on why it could be trustworthy, it might be trustworthy. So uh, let, me, let me start with this. Um, I'm going to start with this passage in John chapter 5. So if you, have a, if you have a Bible, you turn to John chapter 5, and we're going to start in verse 36. I want to start by answering this question by looking at something Jesus has to say about the purpose of Scripture. Okay? And in the, in the text I'm about to read, you need a little background because otherwise it's only going to sound like Dr. Seuss language to you. In this chapter, right before the piece I'm going to read to you, Jesus heals a man who can't walk. And he does it on the Sabbath, as he often does things on the Sabbath, almost provoking leaders who think they shouldn't be any work done on the Sabbath. And of course, the leaders find out about this and they're upset with Jesus and they say, how can you be doing work on the Sabbath, even though this individual person's life is totally transformed. He, can't, he couldn't walk, now he can walk. You can't do those kinds of things on the Sabbath according to the law that you are telling us you believe in and ascribe to. Now, Jesus comes back to them and basically says um, that the Father, his Father, refers to God as his Father, is always working and therefore he's always working, almost like because God is at work on a Sabbath, so am I. And, and then he says to them, um, people who believe in me and trust in me and therefore trust in my Father, they're the ones who find real life. Um, and so he just kind of goes right back at them and say, you don't understand because you don't really know God, which you know isn't a real polite disagreement. He's not inviting, he's just saying, you don't get it because you don't know who God is and therefore... You just think it's about keeping these laws. Um, so we get to this point in John chapter 5 where Jesus then starts to tell them about the purpose of the scriptures. Let me read that part for you. Jesus says, I have testimony, I have support, I have people who will testify on my behalf. Weightier than that of John. His cousin John has sort of said Jesus is the Messiah. He says, I have testimony that's even weightier than John's testimony. For the works, meaning the, the miracles, the thing that Jesus were doing, the works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I'm doing like right now by healing this guy that you're, you're upset about, those things testify that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. And I think he's probably referring to his baptism at this point where there's a voice that other people could hear during Jesus' baptism that say, you are my son, whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. So not only does John say things about me that are true, and, and not only do the things that I'm doing in terms of miracles tell you that who I am is the son of God, but the father himself is, has said that. These are all pieces of things that you could believe in, but you choose not to. Then he goes on. You have never heard his voice, the father's voice, 
nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. Now listen carefully to this verse 39. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Okay, let's sit with that one for a second. Leave that last part up there for me, will you, Adam? This is a really important reframing Jesus is doing here, right? These are leaders, teachers, scholars who know the Hebrew Bible backwards and forwards. If you ask them a question about a verse, they can tell you what the next verse is. They have spent their lives memorizing the Torah, the law. They know it inside and out. They pride themselves on knowing it. And Jesus comes back to them after they're criticizing him for breaking one of the laws, breaking the Sabbath commandment. And he says, you don't get it because you don't know God. In fact, the very scriptures that you have spent your whole life focusing on tell you about me and you refuse to come to me to have life. And that's why you don't get it. This reframing that Jesus says teaches us one of the reasons I think we can trust the Bible today. Here it is. We can trust the Bible because the point of the Bible is to direct us and connect us to Jesus. Do you see that in the Scripture? The Scriptures are not an end in and of themselves. The Bible isn't the point. The Bible is not a God. Okay? The Bible is given to us because we wouldn't be able to know who God is without it. And so when Jesus says to them, I've got all these confirmations of people who say that I am who I am, and the scriptures that you ascribe to say, but you reject me, he's saying, you missed the point of the scriptures that you were studying. And I think we still have this problem now. We still have this problem because some people think defending the Bible is more important than connecting people to God. And I think they think that for some good reasons, that if we lose the Bible, somehow we lose God, and that might be true. But if we're acting out of fear and saying, you can't, you can't trust the Bible unless you defend it in this particular way, then we, I think we lose God that way too. So I think a point of trust is that the Bible is a means, it's a conduit, it's supposed to connect us to something much more important than itself. The Bible's not part of the Trinity, I don't think, right? The Bible is supposed to teach us about the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, so in Jesus' words, we can come and connect with God and find real life. That's what it's there for. So the, the first point of trust for me is that the point of the Bible is to connect us to Jesus, and we have to keep that at the front of our understanding when we're talking about whether or not the Bible can be trusted. Jesus is reinterpreting the Scriptures all the time in ways that felt ridiculously threatening to the religious leaders and their understanding of what those texts meant. That's one of the major reasons he gets killed. 
He's doing reinterpretive work. He's saying things like, you've heard it said like this, but I'm telling you this. And he's taking some of the core lessons of the Hebrew Bible, the old, what we call the Old Testament, like you've heard that you should, um, there should be an eye for an eye sort of justice. But I'm telling you that if someone hits you, turn the other cheek. Well, that's about the, op- that's about the opposite, right? He, he says things like, you've heard love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemy and pray for the people who persecute you. Now, if you're a religious expert in that time, right? You hear a person say, well, it says this, but I'm telling you this. You freak out a little bit, right? And that's why they say things like, who, who are you? Who gives you this kind of authority to reinterpret things? To decide that it meant this before and now it means this. That's a radical reorientation. Jesus is doing this sort of reinterpretation and translation as part of what it means to help people understand how to connect to God. He does this all over. I could give you examples for half an hour. He says that the temple, which is a physical place, is now his body. And people are massively confused about that. And that then becomes the fact that people like us can be the temple of the Holy Spirit. He, he says things like that God, Yahweh, the great, the great God of Israel, is my dad. You can call him dad if you want. It's radical reinterpretation of what they understood to be true. But it highlights something that is the second main point I want to make this morning about why I think we can trust the Bible. This is going to be a little counterintuitive for some of you. The second point of trust for me is that the Bible is always being translated. Okay? I'll unpack it for you. The Bible is always being translated. Here's what I mean by that. Isn't this, you might sit there and go, isn't that a reason to not trust the Bible? Shouldn't it be sort of solidified and then everybody... Here's why I think translation, as part of what the Bible is always doing, means we can trust it more. Translation is what allows the good news of the kingdom of God, the good news of Jesus, the good news about Jesus, to engage every culture, every language, every time period. It adapts. It sounds different today in Africa and Southeast Asia and Russia and Eastern Europe and Europe and North America and South America than it does right here in Minnesota. And God designed it that way. In fact, in missions work, when we have forgotten that things need to be translated well into cultures and language that people understand, we've screwed it up. And we've projected stuff from other cultures that God didn't intend for those cultures. And we've realized that and we're correcting it now. One, one scholar I really like on this, Scott McKnight, says this about the way that the Bible is translated. He says, God spoke in Moses' days in Moses' ways. God spoke in Job's days in Job's ways. God spoke in David's ways, it, David's days in David's ways. This is going to get hard for me in a few more minutes. God spoke in Solomon's days in Solomon's ways. God spoke in Jeremiah's days in Jeremiah's ways. God spoke in Jesus' days in Jesus' ways. God spoke in Paul's days in Paul's ways. And in Peter's days in Peter's ways. And John's days in John's ways. 
And we are called to carry on that pattern today. God speaks to every generation in language that they can understand in the midst of their cultural norms and with stories that make sense to them. Now, why would God do that? Because it's too hard for us to go back and say, what what, what would it be like to be a first century Christian? That doesn't make any sense to us. We have some clues about what it was like to be a first century, but we live 20 centuries later. And we need God to inform what it's like to live uh, and follow Jesus in the midst of too many text messages, which wasn't a problem 2,000 years ago. Jesus himself, let me make one more point about this. Jesus himself is a translation. Jesus is God translated into human form, right? The word became flesh. And one of the things I love the most about the Christian faith and about who Jesus is, is that God does the work of coming to us, not the other way around. So God becomes a human because God knows there's just no other way we're going to understand really what God is like unless I become one of you. And I can't accomplish what I need to accomplish unless I become one of you. So I think the Bible can be trusted because it's always being translated. I trust the Bible more because it's always being translated, not less. Now, when I was in school uh, at Carleton College a long time ago, 20 years ago, I was part of a Bible study where we had a couple of Christian people, and we started saying, well, what if we just read the Bible in student-centered public places and see if anybody wants to join us? Some of you heard part of this story, but here's the part of it I want to highlight for you. We opened up the Scripture, and we ended up reading the Scripture on a weekly basis with students, by the time I was a senior, it was sometimes 60, 70, 80 students at a time at a meeting, most of whom, I'd say 90 plus percent of whom, didn't believe in what was being said in the Bible. And yet, just by opening up the scripture and allowing God to speak to that group, people start asking questions and saying, well, what what would this mean to me if I was going to trust it? And I, this is the thing, this is the whole reason I became a pastor, honestly. I saw things happen in people's lives who were so far away from any church life, any Christian faith, just by engaging what God was saying through the scripture and asking, what does that mean for a college student in the 20th century that time? I saw people become Christians. I saw and participated in people being baptized by just having a Bible conversation with folks who don't agree even on whether you should listen to the Bible. That changed my life. Because I watched God translate into their language and thinking the call of Jesus on their life and hear some of them respond to that. Just a couple days ago, I was at Moody Bible Institute. Anybody know Moody Bible Institute? I think that's about as opposite as Carleton College as you can get, for those of you who know the two. I went there. I'd never been there before. I'm walking on campus. I enter into one of the buildings. There's a student working at a desk, which is the way we fund most people's education, I think. Sit at this desk. You don't have to do anything. We'll pay you. 
And he starts telling, I said, what are you doing? What are you studying? He says, well, I'm studying biblical languages. Okay, why are you doing that? Because I want to go to Papua New Guinea and figure out how to translate the Bible to some people who don't have a Bible in their language. Oh, that's cool. But I have to go after I graduate, I have to go to Canada for a master's degree in linguistics and cultural awareness so that when I go to Papua New Guinea, I'll understand what it's supposed to sound like in their language. And this kid is sitting there, I don't know, he's probably 22, right? And he's telling me, listen, I'm going to spend about 10 years of my life getting good at translation. Cultural translation, linguistics, interpersonal communication, all these pieces, so that I can figure out what the Bible's supposed to sound like as faithfully as I can to these people who never read the Bible in their own language. First of all, that's amazing that a 22-year-old is headed that direction and wanting to do with their life. And it also takes a ton of preparation and work to figure out how's that translation supposed to take place. I've had this experience over and over again in my life where I've watched the translation of the Bible interact with people right where they are with the questions they have and watched God invite them into relationship with Jesus Christ. That's why we have so many different ones of these, right? NLT, NIV, NIV before, NIV after. Message, NASB, I mean, I could go on, NRSV, you don't even know what any of the letters mean anymore, right? All these different people saying, hey, I think this is the best and most faithful translation of this text for these people at this time. And they're always updating it. Because after 50 years, it doesn't quite sound right anymore. That's not how we talk, and we need to know what God is saying. So, let me pause here and say, does anyone feel nervous at this point? I know that saying that trusting the Bible as translation might for some of us say, well, does, that seems to mean that we can't count on it then. How, it's not solid. It isn't going to stay the same no matter what. How do we know? It introduces a bunch of questions, right? Like, how do we know if a translation is a good translation or a bad translation? How do we know if the way someone's interpreting the Bible uh, is a good way to interpret the Bible or not? Or, or how do we know if someone uses the Bible in a way that seems really damaging, that that's the wrong way to interpret Scripture? How do, we, how, do we, how do we decide who gets to translate the Bible and, and why? One thing I want to say is that translation, there, there are good translations and bad translations. There are good interpretations and there are bad interpretations. Translation in itself doesn't mean well, you just accept whatever's happening now. But it also doesn't mean we just believe whatever we believed before. It means that we have to do the hard work as a community to ask, what's the most faithful interpretation and action based on what we know of God's story and God's character and what's said in the Bible in the midst of a constantly changing cultural setting? And I think people don't really want to hear that because they either want an answer that says, well, this is who gets to decide and what it says so they can feel better and less anxiety, or they can reject it. But my sense is that the calling of the church, the calling of people who are trying to be Christians in the 21st century, one of the things that we're called to do is to become faithful interpreters of the Bible, discerning how is it that God is speaking to us in the 21st century through the story of God in Scripture? That's our job. And you might think, well, that seems like way too much authority to give to us. 
God maybe is trusting us a little too much. And you might be right. As you look at history, and people have used the Bible in some terrible ways to justify things that have absolutely nothing to do with God or who Jesus is, right? You can think of some examples. For whatever reason, the God of the universe has decided to continue to trust us to respond to the things that he's inviting us into over and over and over again. And so that means two things. And let me ask the band to come up. I'm almost done. That means, first, that our engagement with the Bible becomes more important right now, not less important. One of the reactions of the the question, can I trust the Bible, is to go, well, I don't know if I can, so I'm just going to put it on the shelf. That's the opposite reaction we need. We need a whole group of people who are digging into it more and asking better questions about how we faithfully translate that scripture into today. And we all have to do that together. You can't just pick some experts and have them do it for you. We have to do it together because the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you and through you the same way anybody who gets paid to be a Christian But at the same time, you can really benefit from people who have studied more than you have and maybe can direct your thinking and help you understand what's going on in a particular text. We are supposed to do that together so we can live into what it is that God has in mind for us. And the second thing is that community then, church community, becomes more important, not less important. Because we need each other to interpret the Bible well. We have to decide what it is God's calling us to do. I can't decide that for you. You can't sit in a room by yourself and read the Bible and decide what you think it means. You can't. You have to do it with other people because you need their perspective. You need to hear God through them. You need to build trust with people in community. That's why we need, that's one of the reasons why we need more community in church, not less. And we need to fight against the individualistic tendencies that say, just go off and do it yourself on your own spiritual journey. That doesn't work. So the two things I think, the reasons why we can trust the Bible, just to be clear before I finish, is one, because the Bible is a means to an end, and the end is connecting us to Jesus. And secondly, because it's already built to be translated, which means it can adapt and adjust and speak clearly truth into any cultural situation. And if we know that, then we can enter into discussions and questions about what that really means in any particular place and time and trust that as a community, God will reveal it to us because he always has. I have no idea if I've just created a whole bunch of anxiety and you think I'm an idiot or if I'm reassuring you, but here's what I'd like to say. I would love to talk to you about this. So if I've raised questions or challenged things, or you feel like this means you can't trust the Bible, please tell me. I'm not nervous about it. I would love to talk to you about it. If you feel like, wow, that actually really helps me to see that even though things change, we can still depend on Scripture's direction for us, then share that with someone else and why you think that, okay? Let's pray. God, you are the author of all truth. Jesus, you are the perfect revelation. You are the perfect image of God in human form. Holy Spirit, 
we know that right now you are present and active in our lives and in our world, calling people into the love that Jesus has for them. We desperately need your help and your clarity and your wisdom as we seek to live out faithfully what it is that you're teaching us in the midst of the crazy world of the 21st century. We need you to help us to test and approve what your will is. We need you to help us to develop as Christians, as faithful people, as folks who are looking for you every single day so that we get better at naming what it is you're saying to us together. I pray that you build trust in the midst of Mill City Church's community so that we can become a group of people that not only trust each other and trust you, but become more faithful interpreters of Scripture in the midst of crazy changes all around us all the time. Lord Jesus, increase our faith in you. Help us to turn towards you in times of doubt and uncertainty rather than away. We love you and we need you and we thank you for your presence. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The story of God starts by creating a perfect world for all of us and inviting us into intimate relationship. Sin breaks into the world and distrust tears down our relationship with God and we enter into this roller coaster life of sometimes intimacy with God and sometimes distance with God into which Jesus breaks in and says, I will do for you what you can't do for yourself, even if you don't understand what that means right now. And then I will invite you to be a, a member, a citizen of the kingdom of God by the power of my spirit, which will always be with you and lead you into the future and teach you everything you need to know until the end when I return and the holy city of Jerusalem comes back down to earth and reestablishes everything that was true about the Garden of Eden. And you are invited to be part of that story by trusting your life to the leadership and the salvation of Jesus Christ. Amen?